Welcome to the Liberty Block. I'm Elliot Axelman. And it seems like the trial for Derek Chauvin, the cop who killed George Floyd, is going on now. And it's back in the news. This happened, I think, a year or two ago. But the case is back in the news because the trial is finally happening. And yes, we know there's some evidence that will certainly get the cop off. I'm willing to bet a million dollars that the cop is totally going to get off scot-free with no prison at all. Of course, if any of us did the same thing and killed a person with a knee on his neck, we'd all go to prison. So... We gotta do, we're going to do two things in this video. We're going to quickly explain the justice system and criminal justice 101, for those who don't yet know. And then we'll talk a bit about fentanyl 101, the basics of jokes. Full disclosure, I do hate police. I believe a lot of them have been murdering people for years, and before video cameras, they've probably murdered millions and millions of people. Another disclosure is that I'm a paramedic, so I'm a subject matter, ex matter expert in fentanyl and breathing disorders and cardiac arrest and all that. Also, disclosure, I am an expert in jokes. I trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for uh, seven years or so. So I've, I've conducted a lot of jokes and I've received a lot of jokes. I've been on both ends. So we'll, t we'll get into that. So, so yes, just in case you're wondering, I do have expertise in these fields. All right, let's start with Criminal Justice 101 before we even talk about this case. The basics of the criminal justice system, as I've explained in many articles and videos and podcasts and video shows, the basic way it works is if a person is suspected to have committed a crime a law enforcement officer is authorized by the law to arrest them, meaning to restrain them, bring them into a court. They're still considered innocent. Keep that in mind. It's very important. They can detain them, arrest them, bring them into a court. In a court, they have the right, as the Constitution explains, they have a constitutional right to have a, an attorney provided for them if they can't afford an attorney or they don't want to pay for one. And then only... They're still innocent. They're in jail. They're being booked. They might get out on bail. They might stay there until trial. Okay, that's not relevant to this case. They're still considered innocent. They might be held in jail, but they are still considered innocent until proven guilty, right? That's what we're all told when we're all uh, educated in government schools. And that's how it is supposed to work. But it doesn't. Anyway, they're in jail, or they're waiting for the trial. Then, at a trial, with a judge present, with a jury, right? Twelve people present with a, a prosecutor, generally a government DA, with witnesses on both sides, and with a defense attorney, either a privately hired or a government-provided defense attorney. That's a lawyer who defends the defendant, the innocent person, the suspect. Notice I'm not using the term criminal because he has not yet been convicted of a crime. So you cannot use the term criminal because we don't know because the jury hasn't examined the evidence and come to a ruling, right? So until that jury comes, and this might be a few months or years, I know, but until the jury comes back to the judge and says that we have found this person guilty of this crime beyond the, any shadow of a doubt, depending on the exact statute and the exact parameters of, the, of those laws. But until the jury comes back and the judge delivers that guilty verdict, that person is considered innocent. Okay. Now, this is a distinction between innocent until proven guilty, they're a suspect, and they're a criminal only after they're convicted. This is a distinction that I didn't really understand and I didn't really care about until only a few years ago. Now, why is this distinction important? Alu, you know, they're criminals. George Floyd was a scumbag. Um, he was a criminal. He was a scumbag. He's done things in the past. So he is a criminal because he has been convicted in the past. He was a bad dude anyway. You know, he's doing drugs. So he's definitely a bad dude. He was evil. So the cop killed him. Um, what's wrong with the cop killing a bad dude? He was definitely a bad dude. We all agree. I didn't shit. You know, I agree. I'm sure he was a bad dude. Um, what's wrong with the cop killing a bad dude? And, and I used to say the same thing. I have to admit it. Three, four, or five years ago, if you caught me before I was um, woken up and explained, before I, I understood this, 
I would have said, and I, I have said this exact same thing, cops should kill bad people. I didn't understand why that was dangerous. Here are a few reasons. Number one, the cop is not the judge and the jury and the executioner and the cop, right? There, there are four, at least four parts to the, the justice system. There's the cop who, who can arrest a suspect. He can detain and, and bring in a suspect to the justice system. There's the prosecutor attorney and the defense attorney. There are you know, witnesses and all sorts of evidence. There's a jury, there's a judge, and then, and then you know, the jury can convict and the judge can punish within the, the sentencing guidelines. So there are a lot of parts, right? You don't leave it up to one person. That kind of makes sense. If a judge can go arrest a person and then make the ruling instead of a jury and the judge alone can hang him, that's a little bit scary because what if you have one bad judge? And there are plenty of bad judges in the country. Like there are plenty of bad cops. So that's one reason why we can't let cops punish bad people. Because just because they're bad. But secondly, it's kind of a slippery slope, isn't it? If a cop if any cop determines a person to be a bad person, they can kill them? What kind of precedent does that set? Some cops think that you're bad if you're white. Some cops think that you're bad if you're black. Some cops think that you're bad if you are a Yankees fan. Some cops think that you're bad if you are below five feet tall. Some cops think if you own a gun, you're a bad person and they should kill you. And so on. So maybe that's why cops don't have the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. Keep that in mind. Keep in mind that you are a suspect, meaning innocent till proven guilty. So theoretically... Mr. Smith can shoot Mr. Jones in the head. And until he is convicted by a jury, which could be two days later, he is considered innocent. Now, why is this important? We all saw him shoot him. Come on, Alu. We saw him shoot him. You know, the cops should just put a bullet in his head. All right. Well, if we let cops punish people who are bad, then we don't have a justice system. We have vigilantism by thugs who happen to wear blue and wear badges. That's vigilantism. So... Are you starting to understand why cops can't punish people on their own? Why they can't make a judgment of a person who's bad? So, anyway, that's the basics, the foundation of criminal justice. A cop has one job. It is to, to detain and bring a suspect into the justice system, meaning to a court, where a court determines if he's guilty or innocent. He might be innocent. Very often, right, the courts find a person innocent and they let them go with no punishment. They're innocent. You're not supposed to be punished until you are convicted in the court of law. You are innocent until proven guilty. And keep this in mind, it's very important. And a lot of smart people who seemingly don't understand this. You cannot be punished until you are convicted by a court. If a person murders a billion people, he can't be punished until he's convicted by a jury trial. Until a jury and a court convicts him. Doesn't matter who says, oh, we saw him kill him. Doesn't matter. So convict him. You can make the, convict the conviction swift. It could be, you know, a few days of the trial, but you have to convict him. Otherwise, all we have is ridiculous vigilantism and so-called anarchy. Vigilantism, taking law into our own hands, right? For instance, like my shirt, Bitcoin is not a crime, which is free the crypto6.com. The crypto6.com. It's about six people who are kidnapped by thugs. They call themselves government agents, but they're thugs. Kidnapped for no reason. They're charging them with a few crimes, mostly having the Bitcoin, selling the Bitcoin, uh, nonviolent crimes. But they still raided their house and, and abused and violated all of them and their property and uh, destroyed their house. And, and I think one or two of them are still in jail right now awaiting trial. Of course, they haven't been convicted yet, yet they're being punished by being detained, and uh, the others have lost a lot of their rights as well, but whatever, that's a different story. So, yeah, check out the website if you want to help out those innocent people for committing the crime of using or selling a cryptocurrency that the government doesn't like, because they've been very involved in this stuff, and they've been very vocal about educating people about how government are thugs. Anyway, 
in the Floyd case, Floyd was being arrested. I forget what, what it even was. I think it was a counterfeit bill that was either him or someone else tried to pass a, a counterfeit uh, $20 bill or allegedly some person called or he was on drugs and some person called and said he was on drugs. He might have been on drugs. According to a bunch of reports, he, he was a chronic user of various drugs. Anyway, he didn't want to get in the car. He said he had anxiety and claustrophobia. He resisted being put into the cop car. At this point, they knew he was unarmed. He was, there were three or, or four cops on scene, but shortly after they, they made contact, I think there were six cops on scene. And Derek Chauvin, I think, was the, the fifth or sixth cop. He was in the third car. So he was number five or six, I believe, and that's important because he took control of the scene, which is maybe not appropriate if you're not first on scene. You usually don't control the scene, especially if you're not the highest like ranking officer, which I don't think he was. Anyway, he resisted. So even, and that's a crime. They could have charged him with resisting arrest. That's another crime, that's fine. But he's not convicted yet. Okay. So the cops wanted to punish him because he was resisting. But wait, cops can't punish. Before we explain exactly about use of force, cops, the way I see it, and I think the law supports this, only are supposed to have two different scenarios in which they can use force, meaning you touch a person, use any force. Otherwise, it's assault or battery, right? They can use force in self-defense, like all humans. All humans can use force in self-defense if they fear an imminent, clear, and present danger to their life or limb or property, depending on the state. And police do have a special right where they can use force, but only as much as necessary to effect an arrest, to put a person in the handcuffs, bring him to court. Now, they can't roughly put on handcuffs. They can't squeeze his wrists and try to cut off circulation. They can't punch him in the head as they put on cuffs just to punish him a little bit because he's a bad dude. They can't uh, put a bullet in his head. They can only use as much force as necessary, the minimum amount necessary to get him to a courthouse. They can't punish him. They can't use extra force. And again, I've been in EMS for a while. I've seen these things where cops say, oh, hey, I busted him up a little bit because he talked back to me. Just document on your PCR that he had cuts before you got there and the cops didn't do it. All right, yeah, no problem. That's what cops do all the time. And ask any EMT who works 911, any EMT or medic or cop or firefighter will tell you this. That's how it goes. That's fine. They'll push him down the stairs and say, oh, he fell down the stairs. Document it. And the police and the EMTs document it. And that's how it goes. It's he said, she said, and the cops always win when it's you're waiting upstairs. Especially because judges and prosecutors are literally their coworkers. They work for the same government. So cops have two different justifications they can use for force. Self-defense and affecting an arrest. If they use force for any other reason, like they wanted to punish or murder a person who they thought was bad, not yet convicted, but thought was bad, but innocent for proven guilty, that is not acceptable, is it? Otherwise, we'd have vigilantism and no need for courts if every cop can make a judgment and determine that a person's guilty just like that, right? Think about it. it makes sense. Anyway, in this case, a few cops, three, four, five, six cops, they're armed, Floyd is not armed, according to all the documents. He was 40, 50 years old, um, very sick, chronic CHF, congestive heart failure, meaning a heart and a lung issue, difficulty breathing, so not in great shape. He was overweight, too, I believe, 40, 50 years old. And I think that they already knew he was unarmed. They had already, I think, patted him down and put him in cuffs. He already was handcuffed, I believe. He was on the floor, so he didn't want to go in the car. They put him on the floor until they could figure out how to get him in the car. Makes sense. Not too crazy. Uh, six cops on him, meaning he can't move. He's handcuffed, his arms, maybe his legs, too. He couldn't move. They were on top of him. At this point, they should get him in the car. They could have called EMS. They already said he was having issues. He was confused. He was fighting back. Yeah, if anyone is like not really complying or maybe confused or on drugs, cops are supposed to call for EMS immediately. I don't know when they did, but they should have called for EMS and waited. Or put him in the car. If he's not complying, let him lie down. He was handcuffed. They didn't need to put any force on him, let alone 
an entire man, an average size man, with all of his weight on the person's neck via their knee, right? So anyway, clearly you can see that Derek Chauvin, with what he was saying and his body language, how he was putting pressure on him, he clearly was angry, meaning he was punishing him. Remember, cops aren't supposed to do things when they're angry. It shouldn't be a physical punishment. It should be only the minimum force necessary. And I'm sure every police policies and procedures, manuals and protocols in every city department has this this uh, verbiage in their in their policies, I would assume, that they're supposed to use the least amount of force necessary because otherwise they can use more force than necessary, which is punishment, which is vigilantism. And cops at least don't admit out in the open that they're vigilantes, even though they are sometimes. So Derek Chauvin, this disgusting murderer cop who did know George Floyd, by the way. They worked together in the same security place, by the way. So maybe they did know each other. Maybe it was a little premeditated. Maybe when Chauvin heard that call come in, he figured he'll fly to that call and take over the scene, even though he was the fifth or sixth on scene, and kill him because he had a vendetta. That's one of the ways they can actually get a first-degree murder conviction, but I would settle for any jail time, even a day, because I don't think it'll happen. But they knew each other. Anyway, Chauvin put his knee into his neck to assert dominance and punish this guy for being a bad dude, because Floyd was a bad dude, right? And uh, he was going to punish him and held his knee there for, I think, eight minutes, seven or eight or nine minutes. And his knee was right on his neck, on the side of his neck. I think, in my professional, medical, and martial arts opinion, that the knee was right where his jugular vein is. Very simple. Your jugular vein is right on the side of your neck, pretty much 100% lateral on the side of your neck, like perpendicular to the front side, lateral. Make sense? This is one jugular vein. This is the other jugular vein. That's how the blood drains, veins drain, from your skull. All the blood from your skull and your brain, from your upper body, your head, drain to your heart, to the vena cava, through your jugular veins. If you cut off one, you essentially cut off nearly 50% of the blood return from the brain, meaning blood is accumulating in the brain. That's why if you choke someone, especially if you cut off the jugular vein, or both veins, their head might get red because it's filling with blood. Eventually, their brain, their skull, will have too much pressure in it because of blood backup, and the vessels could dilate and cause pressure on the brain, and eventually squeeze the brain down through the frame and magnum, and the bottom of the brain is squeezing through the top of the spinal canal hole and the top of the spinal cord, a.k.a. the bottom of the brainstem, which is what keeps your heart breathing, your heart beating and your lungs breathing. Squeezes through and squeezes through, and as it gets squeezed, it's being crushed, and then you die. Oh, but all fentanyl killed him. We'll address that in a minute. It's ridiculous. So that's what happens on the video. Clearly, you can see his neck, his knee is sitting on his neck, pressing his jugular vein. Now, his other jugular vein is pressed against the cement, the concrete. So if you have this and this, the knee is cutting off maybe 99% of his right jugular vein. The, the asphalt is cutting off, I don't know, could have been anywhere between between... 10% and 99% and of his blood flow. It depends on the exact position. I won't claim to know because I wasn't there. But somewhere between 60 to 99% of his jugular vein capacity was uh, blood flow was being cut off. That's a lot, especially in someone as sick as they claim he is. Also, he did have, have CHF apparently. According to the autopsy, he had severe CHF with uh, massive uh, swelling and, and increased weight and volume and, and water in his lungs. Which I don't I don't know if I would say severe CHF. Severe CHF means they need oxygen, they can't breathe. You know, they can't walk around. He was walking around, clearly. Um, but maybe moderate CHF. Also, it's kind of harder to breathe when you are, he said he had anxiety, and when you have cops on top of you, meaning massive anxiety, and when you think you might get killed, which he was right about, 
And when you have someone sitting on your chest, I think it was sideways, but still, someone sitting on your chest means as your chest expands, it can't expand if someone's sitting on you. Again, I grappled for years, so when someone's sitting on your chest, if they weigh 200 pounds, that alone, just sitting on your chest or your back or your side, depending on your position, can restrict your lung capacity to your chest to expand by a lot. That can cut off how much you can breathe with each breath. So that's another factor. There are plenty of factors in this. So what about the claim that he died of fentanyl? Alu, I saw an autopsy report, and one report said that another person might have mentioned some drugs in his system. Yes. And for that, we'll, we'll go to the article. We have a screenshot, and this is the screenshot that caused all of the, the uh, drama, I think. This is a screenshot from a person about the blood. And again, the problem with autopsies is from all the data I've seen from the people I trust medically, an, a blood uh, lab work, lab results from an autopsy is really either unreliable or, or relatively unreliable. Because as soon as you die, the instant you die, your blood starts having massive amounts of changes with your blood. Um, now, he was brought to the hospital, and I think shortly after he died, I think that day, when he was brought to the hospital before he was declared dead, he was already in cardiac arrest probably, they took some blood, that was probably pretty accurate. So let's read what it says here. It says uh, someone walked them through the labs, they highlighted 4A and MP, a precursor, precursor of a tabloid of fentanyl was present in Floyd's blood. Bethamphetamine was very near the low end, so very, very little meth. Um, fentanyl 11. This fentanyl level can cause pulmonary edema. Mr. Floyd's lungs were two to three times their normal weight at autopsy. That is a fatal level of fentanyl under normal circumstances. Very interesting. We're going to talk about that. Non-fentanyl, nor fentanyl. That's a metabolite. Um... It doesn't say if the level was high or low. So, okay, that's what it is. So the only thing here that says there was any high level of anything was was fentanyl 11. <clears throat> I don't know if, if fentanyl 11 is a metabolite or if they're saying the level was 11. It says that's pretty high. This is someone talking about another person who showed them the labs, maybe a doctor. Um, it, now, I understand that's pretty high. Now, they say he was a chronic user of fentanyl, meaning he was very... Uh, accustomed to, to having high levels, meaning he might have been at baseline or lower or higher, but clearly it wasn't a uh, severe amount of fentanyl in his blood. Now, for those who don't understand fentanyl, please, you can trust me. Please listen to me. I know this about opioids, like fentanyl and heroin and morphine. There's only one way they can kill you on an acute basis, like kill you in, in the day or the, a few hours, not like decades long of fentanyl. That'll kill you with endocarditis um, if you do an IV. But there's only one, one way fentanyl can kill you, like, within a day. It is by telling your brain that it needs to breathe slower and slower, and that it barely needs to breathe, and then that it doesn't need to breathe at all. That is literally the only way. Go ask any doctor in the universe and ask him how opioids kill you. It's one way. It doesn't uh, make you breathe fast and die. It doesn't give you a massive, big heart attack. Pretty much the one way fentanyl kills you, by my understanding, like, 100% of the time, is it tells it shuts off your respiratory centers that tell you you need to take a breath. Usually when you're when a, a CO2 level goes high, meaning um, CO2, carbonic acid, protons, acid, pH getting low, when our acid is, is high, our CO2 is high, our brain triggers our vagus nerve and our intercostal muscles to take a breath. So we inhale and we exhale. Those centers are shut off. The signal from your brain, and it's all usually automatic, that signal gets depressed and eventually shut off depending on how much fentanyl you take. If you take an overdose on opioids, within a few minutes, two hours, generally hours unless it's a massive, huge IV dose. It could, If it's IV and it's massive, it could happen in, in minutes. You can start breathing slower and not breathing at all. And again, I've seen this with patients 
But if it's taken uh, any other route, PL, so it's taken in the mouth, um, maybe IM or, or uh, snorted, however else you take it or a patch, it'll probably probably take at least a few hours, I'd assume, unless it's a tremendous dose and the bioavailability or if you have an empty stomach and you take it in the mouth, it could affect you and maybe in less than hours, probably a few hours. What it does is it makes you start getting high. So a few stages, maybe start getting a little happy, then high, then maybe a little confused, then a little bit less responsive, then unresponsive, then totally unresponsive to even any stimuli you can't be woken. Then your breathing starts slowing, then you're breathing slower and slower, then barely breathing, and then you're not breathing at all, which is apnea or, car or respiratory arrest. And the next step is, is cardiac arrest. So kind of like 10 steps, right? Could it happen in minutes? Maybe, but if it's taken like not IV, like by mouth, probably a few hours for the whole 10 step process from taking fentanyl, walking around and dead, right? Now notice, what, what were the few steps before death from opioids? And this is always 100% of the time. This is, this is medicine. It's very basic medicine. It's like the heart beats, blood goes round and round, two lungs breathe in and out. This is basic medicine. No one in the universe argues. This is a consensus. Even Dr. Fauci would probably agree with me here. And even pro-cop conservative doctors. This is how medicine works. The few steps before death from opioid overdose, what do they look like? Hypoventilation or bradypnea. What does that mean? It means breathing too slowly and too shallowly and too little and being unresponsive. Now, for minutes to hours before he was dying, was he unresponsive, meaning like comatose, and breathing super duper slowly? No, that's totally not what happened. What happened was he was walking around and crying and screaming and crying for his mother while he was being killed. And he was breathing faster than the average rate of 12 to 20. He was breathing faster than that, not slower. He was awake and alert and breathing faster until the moment of death. So, if he would have died of fentanyl, it would have looked like this. Breathing slower, 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 unresponsive, breathing slower, slower, dead. What happened was he was breathing faster and faster and fighting and fighting that he died. So, the one thing we know for sure is that fentanyl could not have killed him. Now, am I an expert in methamphetamine? No. Could he have taken other drugs? He could have. But, the, but look at the obvious factor. The other obvious factor, like Occam's razor, is there was a knee on his neck pressing on his jugular vein, possibly occluding as much as 99% or 100% of his drainage of blood from the skull. So he probably died from ICB. Now, there are two autopsies. And people keep mentioning the autopsies. They're, oh my God, they're so dumb. People keep mentioning autopsies. There were two, the blood, the blood work was not an autopsy. That was, that was pre-death blood work, probably during cardiac arrest or, or during the hospital work up in the ER before the autopsy. The two autopsies, one by the government, one by a private entity, both said that asphyxiation and pressure on the neck, those are the two. One said asphyxiation caused his death. Asphyxiation is medical jargon for choking. And the other one said choking. So both of them literally said he was choked to death. But no one's talking about that. People keep telling me, Ali, look at the autopsy. It says that he died of fentanyl. Nope. One of the emails, I think, from someone about blood work earlier said in a normal person who never uses fentanyl, this could be a fatal dose of fentanyl. He had a lot. And if I, if I found him dead with no other circumstances in the house with this level of fentanyl, I would probably call it a fentanyl overdose death. But we have other circumstances, like we know he was a chronic user of fentanyl, and we know that there was a knee on his neck, right? So, anyway, remember the intro where I spoke about the, the two reasons a cop could, could use force? It's either in self-defense or the minimum force necessary for an arrest. Was that the minimum force necessary for an arrest? Putting on Neil's neck? No. They could have waited longer for a medic to come and sedate him and they put, could have put him in a car easily. All paramedics in the universe carry Versed. They could sedate him very easily, right? Or just get a few more cops to each grab a limb and put him in the car. It would have been very easy. I could do it. 
two or three guys could do it easily. I've put combative people in a car, especially if they're handcuffed. I could put a combative person in a car if I have one or two partners. They had six cops, and they still killed them. If six cops can't, like, detain an unarmed person and put them in a car, pretty sad, right? Arms and legs are tied up, six cops. Each of them grab a limb, plus two more to grab his body, put him in a car, and safely bring him to an ER or a hospital, right? So there are three different times a cop uses force. Two of them are legal, one's illegal. One of them is murder, torture, punishment, extrajudicial force, assault, vigilantism. One is the minimum force necessary for an arrest, and one is self-defense. Look at that scene. Was that self-defense? Was Floyd a clear and present danger to all the six cops, even though he was tied up like a hog on the floor, unarmed, and there were six armed cops standing above him? No, it wasn't self-defense. We could rule that out. Was it the minimum force necessary for that arrest to happen? The minimum force necessary? No, obviously not. They could have literally walked away, and he was stuck there. He was tied up. So they could have walked away or had one female cop put one finger on him to keep him from getting up. If your arms and legs are bound, you can't actually stand up. Especially not him, because he was supposedly an obese 50-year-old with a CHF, right? So that was not the minimum force necessary. By the process of elimination, that only leaves one explanation. It was offensive force, which is called vigilantism, which is called torture. And cops can't punish. Number one, they don't punish people. Number two, they definitely can't punish people who are innocent. And I remember in part one of this video, we discussed that he was innocent. George Floyd, everyone has to admit that he was innocent because he was never convicted in a court of law. The court that all you statists worship as sacrosanct, right? So he was innocent, and a cop used excessive force to kill him. We don't have to rule that the knee 100% killed him and that nothing contributed at all, that beyond a shadow of a doubt that he killed him. Maybe for a first-degree murder, which we'll talk about later. But he was charged, I think, with also a second-degree murder and some other manslaughter, third-degree murder, third-degree homicide, which is manslaughter. He was charged with a few others. He could easily be convicted of that, depending on the exact statute in Minnesota. I think that as long as you contribute to the death of someone, for instance, if a person is bleeding out and the cop and he goes to an ER and the doctor walks away or uh, starts pouring plavix into his wound, he'll be charged with some kind of homicide, right? Even though, you know, he was already bleeding out. So even if he had fentanyl, which I don't think he had any significant level of fentanyl in the system, as I mentioned, it certainly wasn't an overdose because he was breathing faster than normal, not slower than normal, which is, I think, impossible with an opiate overdose, but whatever. So you could be convicted of homicide, I'm sure, if you are a contributing factor. Or if you don't render aid, which technically I think cops are supposed to do. They're all CFRs, but whatever. Anyway, about me being an ambitious prosecutor, because one day I'll be an ambitious prosecutor if we can actually get um, private prosecution, meaning non-government officials, others able to do criminal prosecutions, which I think does not really exist at all right now. Um, it's very complicated, but pretty much all prosecutors right now, the only people who can actually prosecute criminally, not civil, not lawsuits, not suing someone, criminally, in a criminal case, the only person who can bring a lawsuit is a, a government official. Get it? It's all rigged. Who can prosecute people? The government. What if the government does something wrong? Oh, the government prosecutor will prosecute him. But the government and the government, oh, it's the same thing. That's like the same entity. Why would a person prosecute his coworker? Oh, well, you know, everyone in the government is 100% upstanding with perfect ethics and they're all perfectly moral and they're all uh, saints. So if a person in the government does something wrong, surely the prosecutor, DA, or the attorney general will make sure they're brought to justice, right? Just like Hillary Clinton and Comey and Obama and all of them were brought to justice and they're in jail, right? So that, that's the issue. One day, if in our, in our dreams, one day, if we can have private prosecution, where a private person 
could go to court and prosecute someone. I don't know if it exists at all, very little or not at all, or, or maybe quite a bit in the U.S. I don't know. But private prosecution means a person who is not government, because I can never get elected because I'm a crazy radical who believes in freedom and doesn't believe in um, theft and violating property rights and vigilantism. So I probably couldn't get elected as a DA. But why shouldn't I be able to not convict, but at least go to court and represent represent a uh, prosecution in a sense and prosecute someone in criminal court? I can't go to criminal court. I have to try to ask a DA to file charges. And if they say we don't even want to charge him, don't get screwed. They can tell me to go screw myself. Anyway, if private cup. If private prosecution begins to happen in the U.S. and I can essentially be a lawyer or at least represent or prosecute a government official in one case, here's how I would aim, if I were ambitious, here's how I would aim for a first-degree murder, total mur first-degree homicide, murder charge, or Chauvin. There are two different ways I can do it, actually. One is premeditated and um, bring evidence to the fact that he and Floyd worked together at the same place, meaning there could be vendetta, meaning premeditation. He knew him. He came here. He heard the call of the radio. He knew it was going to be Floyd. They described, you know, six foot two, black, male, um, whatever, 45 years old on drugs. He probably knew the location where he lives, what, what, you know, area he was at. Flew to the scene. It seemed it was Floyd. He killed him. That could be first degree murder. That may or may not happen. But I have an even stronger case for first degree murder in a different universe where cops could be punished if we abolish qualified immunity, which I think New York City just did and New Hampshire is hopefully going to soon. Without qualified immunity, where cops can actually be punished, maybe. Because remember, in this case, I know I know this is all futile. He's not going to be punished. I, I would bet right now. Derek Chauvin is going to get zero punishment. He'll probably get a, a longer paid vacation and maybe a promotion. Because I could just see the way it's going with the fentanyl and the crap. And there's evidence of experts saying, oh, the knee was on his neck. It was actually on his shoulder. The knee was there. You know, you could say whatever you want. Because truth doesn't matter anymore. So anyway, if I were really ambitious, here's how I would do it. There's, there's a statute in every state, I think including Minnesota, pretty much every state that I've looked at, there's a, a doctrine called felony murder. And it's really interesting because it actually doesn't make sense. It kind of makes sense, but it doesn't make sense, and I'll explain why. Felony murder means if you are in the commission of a felony, so let's say you're simple, you have a gun and you're robbing a store. So armed robbery, that's a felony in every state, I assume, and, and federally probably. So armed robbery, rape, if... If you're committing a felony and in that commission, you also commit murder or you also commit homicide. Sorry, if you kill someone. So if you are committing rape and you kill someone during that process, that is automatically upgraded to first degree murder, not second or third degree homicide, first degree homicide, because you are in the commission of a felony. Now, very simply put, um, Derek Chauvin was in the commission of a felony. The felony was kidnapping, assault, battery, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So he, he was in the commission of a felony. And pretty much every state, assault, you know, battery, kidnapping, they are actually felonies. And he, and he was in the process of that. So, you know, this probably wouldn't fly in courts nowadays, but what the hell we're dreaming. So I would, I would ask the judge to, you know, accept uh, the charge of, or try to go forward with the charge of uh, felony murder. He was in the commission of uh, felony kidnapping and, and homicide happened. Therefore, it should be automatically upgraded, essentially, to a first-degree homicide, which is murder. And, and there, there's case law for this. Um, anytime a person's committing a felony, I, th I think there's uh, various cases that, where, where a person has essentially gotten felony murder because they were committing a felony. It wasn't premeditated, but they still got first degree homicide, which is essentially premeditated murder because they were in the commission of a felony. So that's pretty much my spiel with the, the George Floyd crap. I'm sure he won't be Chauvin won't get punished, but they almost never are. And by the way, that video looks bad and pisses people off, but I have seen literally thousands, maybe maybe tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 videos of cops doing much worse. I've read stories, totally confirmed cases of cops 
raping babies and making the mothers watch and raping the mothers too. I've seen so many videos and, and one in a million of these cops are actually punished, even for a day in prison or even, even fired. Some do resign because they're ashamed, but I've seen thousands of videos of multiple cops doing worse and multiple cops, all the cops essentially, totally supporting them and being accomplices. So every cop is either doing these things or they are an accomplice because they're covering for their cops and supporting their cop friends who do the rape. I, I could give you right now uh, a few a few thousand or maybe tens of thousands or hundred thousand cases of cops committing uh, rape or other sexual assault and, and murder and torture and uh, vigilante justice like this, like in this case. So there are a lot of worse cases. I know some of them get famous, some don't, whatever, but most are probably not called on video. I assume 99% fly under the radar, right? So yeah, you know, this case is bad, but Chauvin won't be convicted. And then um, you're going to have more BLM riots, and it's getting harder and harder to disagree with them. They're, they're Marxists, but, but people who are pro-anti-police and pro-police accountability, police reform, criminal justice reform, it's getting harder to argue with them because they have a good point. Chauvin clearly murdered him. We all know it. Every human in, in, in the U.S. Is, is smart enough to know what, what it looks like when they see it, and the dumb elites try to say, well, the knee was really on his shoulder. You're stupid. Keep calling us stupid and keep murdering us, and we're going to keep being upset with you. So... I ran way too long. My last video was 40 minutes. I wanted this one to be five minutes. But again, it, it takes a lot to explain this. Criminal justice is a little complicated. I didn't know how it worked, basic civics and criminal justice, till a few years ago. So that's all for today. Check out libertyblock.com for more. Let me know what you think. This is Alu Axelman. I'll see you next time.